Praise God. Let's quickly go in tonight to the word of God and um, and then look and, and learn doctrine and learn scripture and learn the will and the purpose of God. Um, we're going to continue in, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we have been teaching in the order of salvation. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a uh, is, is a part of the process um, when we come to Christ. And um, let me quickly say this tonight, that um, the reason God left us on earth after being born again is for the purpose of reaching the world. Do you hear me now, church? The, the reason you are alive, the reason you are not dead, the very moment you got born again, it's because God wants you to reach the world. If you don't know that, I want you to know it today and know it clearly and let it better in your heart expressly as the truth of God's word. You see, the Lord sometimes endures our imperfect worship because he wants to reach the world. If the Lord wants us to be the epitome of his worship, what he would do actually is to get us to heaven. But he endures the imperfect worship because he wants us to reach the unsaved. Amen. The Lord, as it were, tolerates our life, the way we behave and carry on, because he wants us to, to reach out to the unsaved. So the reaching to the unsaved is very germane to your life. Amen tonight. And to my own life as well. And that's the reason we have to um, study and learn this word. If there's anything that's important or any doctrine that you should know is a doctrine of salvation because it's by it we are saved and by it also everyone also is saved. Is saved, is saved, is saved, is saved. Salvation is germane, is important and we have to pay attention to it. And why the Holy Spirit? One, because, because he is sent or, or, or the Father to to establish the the the, the finished work of Christ. Um, we see that Christ said it in John 16 and from verse 76, he says, says nevertheless, it's faith for you to go. For if I don't go away, the comforter will not come, the Holy Spirit will not come. And when it comes, it will do three things: it will, it will convict the world. Amen. You see, we can't, you see, our preaching can't do the conviction, all right? You see, but our preaching is the Bible through which the conviction actually comes, amen? Uh, you see, we can't do the conviction, but our lives, the way we live our lives, actually is the means by which the conviction comes. And that's why every time I, I, I share with us, it's important for you to know that, 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 that true evangelism is not only in word, but it's also in word, in deed and life action. Let me give you this two scriptures to put this point of set tonight so you understand the analogy of what the Lord has, has placed um, 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 in us to, to do. Um, Philemon chapter 6 and then Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Please, if you can show me that scripture on the group chat, if you can help me tonight. Um, uh, if you can, uh, but maybe I just quickly read that. I can read them by heart, but I want to read the um, Philippians um, um, chapter 1. But Philemon 6 says that the 
communication of thy faith might become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing in you in Christ Jesus. You see that down? That the, the communication of thy faith might become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ. So how do you communicate your faith? By preaching it, amen. You see, but it becomes effectual when, 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 when the things about you actually reflect Christ. Amen. Tonight, you see that? So, so, so the purpose of, of, of the Holy Spirit is to help us fulfill the ministry of Jesus. So you must know that, that God left us on earth that we might be instruments of the proclamation of his redemptive grace, his salvation plan that all who hears can believe. 2 Corinthians 5, um, 19, it says, to wit that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself and has given unto us, unto you, the word, that is the logos, and the ministry, the diaconium of reconciliation. So we both have the ministry of reconciliation, and God, in teaching of the word, gives us what? The word of reconciliation. So we will know what word to use will present the gospel to the Lord. So tonight. So the ministry is important, and the word is also important. So what we're doing tonight is that we are laying the foundation and the process of the word of reconciliation. That's why I want you to pay attention as we go in tonight to studying these truths of God's word. So we've been looking at the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And what is the importance? What's the effect? Now notice here, as I go into that again, taking it a step further down, and in teaching these things, notice that um, um, the, the, the accomplishments um, um, of the early church it reveals that baptism in Christ is always immediate. You see, every time people preach in the New Testament, the people got converted when they hear the word of salvation and they are baptized almost immediately. So, please notice that you find that in scripture, I'm going to show you tonight. And, and also, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is also almost what? Immediately. So, there's no baptism class. There's no waiting to receive the Holy Spirit. So, there's no waiting for them. They didn't wait for him. They, they received and they were baptized and they were eager so to do. Praise God. For everyone that was visible, you find that there was eagerness in them to be filled and also be baptized into Christ. Praise God. So there's something peculiar about the early church that we must learn. And, and now the question is, why? Why was it that when the gospel is preached or was preached in the early church, there was a, a spontaneous and eagerness to receive Christ? Not because people want to be blessed, praise God. You see, when we preach today, we tell them, come and be blessed. If one was a God bless now, come first and born again, then God bless you. No, they didn't preach that, that kind of message because in Acts chapter 8, when, when, 
when Philip was preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, that man was riding on a chariot. He was in, the, in charge of the treasury of the queen of, of Candice. That means he was a well-to-do man. So poverty was not an equation for him. He, he wasn't lacking anything. So if you preach to him the gospel of prosperity, it would make no sense to him. But notice, he was reading the book of Isaiah and was confused. And, and Philip, from that same scripture, ministered Christ to him. The atoning sacrifice, the, the, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus that imputed our sins on him, and God gave us his righteousness, that we might be justified before God forever. And this same scripture, which the word of reconciliation actually applies to all. Hallelujah tonight. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 1, he says, this is the gospel, this is the logos, this is the word that I preached to you, that on which you were word, you were saved, except you were word, you, were, you believed in vain, the first of all, so the logos, first of all, Christ, according to scripture, Die, praise God, and he rose again by scripture, and then he was he he he, he was buried and, and he rose. So so our redemption is based primarily on the on on, on the on the on the death, the burial, and what the resurrection of Jesus. Glory to God. Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen nineteen. For if in this world alone we have both them, the all men were most miserable. So the, the logos of salvation is the words of salvation that we must learn and present to people the way it should be presented. Now, notice here that in the early church, everyone that believed, no one tarried for water baptism as a means of identifying and joining the church. They joined the church rejoicing. Notice in Acts 8, verse 8, that was and when the eunuch was baptized, he went back on word rejoicing. Wow. To rejoice means there's something that happened that money cannot buy. In the case, you have money. There's something that happened that women can't supply. In the case, you have them. Something happened to him that his, his, his nation, his status, his fame can't apply. He went home rejoicing. So when men are saved and fully saved, there's an evidence of joy and rejoicing in your heart, praise God. So it, what makes them have this feel? I believe that when the message is preached, the preacher always tells them the need to be baptized as a sign of identifying with the child of And he tells them the promise of the Holy Spirit that can come on them right on the spot without having or attending baptismal class. I pray that the Lord will bring us back into this as we say on the world. And listen, it is not a prayer that we pray and say, no, if we can just say and present the word of God the way it is, men will believe it, and the same result of God, we will also care according to the word of God and the power of the spirit of God. So say that with me tonight. And so we want to look a little more deeper because, like I said, the reason God left you on earth is not to become the head of a nation's country. I know that the reason the reason he left you on earth is not to become the best in your field. In any case, that is very cool because it should aid you in your work 
of ministry. It is to reconcile men back to God. Colossians 4, 17. He says, say to Archibald, say to that man in that church, say to that man in the church in Colossae, there's a, there's a man there that knows what according to something. He said, fulfill the ministry, fulfill the diaconia, fulfill the assignment that God has given you and complete it. Not just as I said, in, in, in John 4, from verse, verse 13, he says, he says, I have needs that the Lord, he said, and my will is to do the will of him that sent me and work and finish it. That means your assignment can be unfinished. Your task can be unfinished. And may you not meet your maker with an unfinished task. You know, Paul said when he was dying, he took the book of the Paul, he says, I have finished the race. I have done my beating. Now the Lord finished the course. Now, now you will ask this. Am I, am I going to finish it or rather have I even begun at all? It's not so much about the question of finishing. It's not about have you even begun your primary work of the Lord at all. Tonight I'm here to challenge and strengthen and encourage you as a child of God to rise up to your responsibility and go above the level of shame and, and fear and begin to do that which God has called you to do. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, he says, Knowing therefore the severity of God, we do what? We persuade men. We persuade men. Sometimes you need to persuade people over the years, over the years, over the years, over the years, over the years. We need to be persuading them because we know the danger of them not receiving Christ. And God didn't appoint anyone to destruction. But anyone that believes, shall we say, yes, God has called, he has elected, but has given the word to everyone so that everyone has a choice. As we are to believe. And our duty is to present the word of God. And God knows how to harvest that which belongs to him. But tonight I want to come back to the baptism because baptism is one of the of the of the of the things that we're looking into down the baptism, but now we're looking at the whole baptism. And now tonight we want to press for a little bit and learn some more. But I want to challenge you: have you begun your assignment? Not to mention going halfway here. Have you started already? Have you engaged in that reconciliation ministry? Have you become your diaconium? Have you started the logos? Are, are, are you employing the, the law of the world? Is your life ministry unto God? Because for every moment you spend on earth, you will account for it. Every moment, every day is a day for accounting. So using the wise guy in the world. Now, the, 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 when the Holy Ghost comes on world, it comes with gifts. And um, one of the gifts is the gift of tongues. But I want to say tonight that tongues is just one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, this is 1 through 12, you'll find nine gifts mentioned. If you read Ephesians 4, verses 8 to 11, you'll find five gifts mentioned. Amen tonight. In fact, talk with me tonight to Ephesians 
4 verse 8. In particular, let me show you there, Ephesians 4 verse 8. When he said, wherefore he said, when he ascended upon high, he led words, captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So there are gifts we can see in Ephesians 4 verses um, Ephesians 12, 4 to 11. When you read that, you're going to find that there are about five gifts um, um, there that we can we can we can identify. Romans 12, 4 through 8 mentions about four other gifts because some of the gifts overlap. But but uh, Romans 12, 4 to 8, we have like four gifts. And then 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 29 or thereabout, we have other gifts that but that overlaps with the Ephesians 4, 11. So 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 28, and Ephesians 4, 11 actually are gifts that overlap. And then we'll explain this as we go on um, in this study. So uh, by extension, I've mentioned um, 9 plus 5, that is 14 plus 4, 18. At least minimum of 18 spiritual gifts. So tongues is just one out of 18 minimum. But why tongues birth in the order of salvation? Because you cannot just start ministering once you get what saved. So what is the initial gift that is obvious and, and evident when we, when we get saved? First, actually, from scripture that we will show you is the gift of what speaking in other tongues. Is evident in scripture. Now, there are a few exceptions that, that they got baptized and got filled afterwards, but overwhelmingly, they spoke in tongues. Acts 2 4. When it came on them, they spoke in tongues. Praise God tonight. And I mean, Acts 5. When, when we preached to those in Samaria, when Peter heard, Peter came back there and laid hands on them. For those reason, they spoke in tongues. But we know by virtue of what we read in 2 and 4, they spoke in tongues. If you come to 9, verse, verse, verse 11 downwards, when Paul, God said, hands were laid on him. That's what he says, he spoke in tongues. But he said later on, in, in February 14, verse 18, he said, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than your. At what point in Paul's life did he keep the speaking tongues? I believe it's from the point of Acts chapter 9, verse 17. When Ananias laid hands on him, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. But remember, he was also saved initially by who? The same Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost that saved him is different from the Holy Ghost that came upon him. Now, come again with me if you can to, to, to Acts chapter 10. From verse 44, when Peter came to the house of Cornelius with his household, and as Bible says, as he was speaking to them, the Holy Ghost the Lord came upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. None of them in that place were Gentiles, tarried on the Holy Ghost. He came on them. So we see the Holy Ghost always coming on people when when hands are laid on them and when they are filled with the Holy Ghost. See that? Now, come again to Acts 19, from verse 6 to 7, when God came and passed the Lord of Ephesus, he mentioned men there, what disciples, and were 12 in number, and asked them, have you received, not the word now, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe and understand? We never have had it at the end of the day, say, wow, then something is wrong. But notice, 
folks, that between Acts 2 and Acts 19 is about 20, 30 years period. So it wasn't the thing that was close to Christ and the Lord. 13 years has gone. Men still spoke in tongues whenever the God filled with the Holy Ghost. So we see that. Um, and when Paul prayed from them and led us the Lord, the God filled, they spoke in tongues and were and the word prophesied. So we notice here that there's a recurring pattern um, um, of people who got people with the Holy Spirit overwhelmingly. They spoke in tongues, but there are instances when they didn't speak in the dream, but obviously over time they spoke in tongues. So why the, the, the issues of that is because that is as where well the initial sign of, of the gift, the initial gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's what there's, there's much talk about it. But tonight I want to establish a few things as we make progress. But what I said. Minimum, we have 18 bits from the Bible. So tongues is not the only gift, but tongues is as well the initial or the first gift that we see when the Holy Ghost comes for people using biblical standard. All right. Now, let me quickly run tonight and please follow me. So tongues, and what I'm going to talk about, just know that it's not only gift, so we talk about the other 17 as well. But tonight we're narrowing down on tongues because this is the what happens when men get born again. So when God elects people, when God brings their torment and, and God calls and, and God generates and men get covered by believing and they get just by sanctifying and they get baptized in water and in the Holy Ghost. So this is a stretch is almost is happening at the same time. That's the reason we cannot compromise this. When anyone will believe this, then Jesus got to believe in the gospel of Christ. There's no apology for this, there's no excuse for it. We can't explain it away. It's that you believe this or you believe it. For those who believe is the power of God, for those who are condemned, is scandalous. Is foolishness, but to us, this is a very power of God. So this is a continuum. So it must be as well, it should happen at the same time when the gospel is preached and presented properly and rightly. So uh tongues is peculiar to the new testament, it is holy. Or solely a New Testament gift, and is of the Holy Ghost. Please notice that speaking in other tongues is primarily a New Testament phenomenon or a gift or an endowment, and is primarily of the Holy Ghost. It's not of Satan. And the Holy Ghost came on people, and they spoke in tongues first. The apostles did. And two, the believers in Samaria spoke and praised God. And three, the people in Acts 10, they spoke and praised God from the side. And four, the people in Acts 19, in Ephesus, they, they spoke and appealed and praised God. So we see over a period of 20 years to 30 years spread, people received and spoke in tongues. So speaking in tongues is of God and not of Satan. 
So never despise tongues because it is the promise of God. Whatever God does, it has its usefulness. It is therefore ungodly to ascribe what is of God to Satan. Because in our day, there are some denominations that ascribe tongues to Satan and do it with every fiber in their being. There are many religious bodies today that reject outrightly certain gifts of the spirit, but especially the gifts of work of tongues. Now, among the reasons they are abused for this position, abuse, I'll give you two tonight, and I trust God to help me conclude on these two thoughts. So why, why do those who oppose tongues oppose it? And I'll give you reasons. And it doesn't matter who opposes tongues. Man cannot stop what God has done. You notice sometimes when men stop what God is doing, it won't stand. And that was why when, when the apostles began to preach the word of God and began to do the things of God, Bible says the, the council came together to stop them. And and and, and Gamaliel stood up among them and said to them, Hey guys, be careful. Don't stop these guys. Because if you try to stop them, it might it might boom around. Apply in trying to stop them, you are you are going against the Lord. And notice what Jesus told Nicodemus. Maybe Nicodemus breathed Gamaliel or that incident. Well, I don't know. Because it was just echoing exactly what Jesus told him, or rather, what Jesus told Nicodemus. All right, and what Paul encountered Christ. He says, I am Jesus whom you are what you are. He says, You cannot keep against the bricks. So Jesus spoke these words to Paul, and he spoke his words also to Nicodemus. You must understand this. But tonight, that's not my gift. But here, he said, There arose one time one Judas, and he put Unto himself, 400 men into the desert, and today he's nowhere. There arose a target at the time of the revolt. He said he was something of, of, of a special sort. And after a while, he was nowhere. So leave this man alone. If what the goodness of God, it will last. But if it's not of God, it's only a matter of time. But he noticed for 2,000 years, the gift of the Lord in, in spirit and tongues had not ceased. Praise God. So I don't care what men of all believe. We only, only care and stand by the word of God. What, what are, their, are their misgivings? What are the things they look onto as, as, as the reason to, to, to not want people to speak in this precious endowment? Of the Holy Spirit. The first thing I want to mention to you is a scripture in First Corinthians 13. Come here tonight. Why do some folks in the world today vehemently oppose speaking in tongues? First Corinthians 13, I will read verses 8 through 10. Please read with me with your heart and follow with your eyes. And let your spirit go with me tonight. Amen. I read. Love never faileth. Paul writing here. In talking about the love of God. 
But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now, this is the, the, the scripture that is abused to prove the point that speaking tongues as work has ceased. But let's look at it simply critically. So that when you speak in tongues, you can speak in boldness to God and, and, and exercise your gifts freely without, without any individual. Notice in context, in particular, verses 12 and 13. What is the perfect? Because just when the perfect is come, that word imperfect and what shall be done away. So 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 tongues and prophecy and what and 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 uh, uh, um, uh, and knowledge will fade away when that which is perfect has come. So that is the question: of What is that which is perfect that has now come to take away prophecy? Tongues and knowledge. Now, from that school of thought, they say that what has come is the Bible. That the moment the Bible became complete canon, every other thing ceased. So there's no need for knowledge, no need for prophecy, no need for tongue. That the perfect actually is the canon of scripture. That's the argument of the folks that vehemently oppose speaking in tongues. So it says tongues shall cease. So when did it cease? When the Bible became the sixth book for the Bible, at that point, that instant, tongues cease. Why? Because through tongues, we, 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 we read that Paul said that when tongues is interpreted, it becomes prophecy. So there's no need of any further prophecy any more than, than the Bible has come because prophecy comes to guide, to comfort, and what exalt. So when you read the scripture, you can be guided, you can be comforted, and be exalted. Therefore, tongues have ceased, no point anymore for tongues. You see, it's, it looks logical, but it's incomplete. Now, nothing should make choice for everybody tonight because. To understand this, you because sometimes you just speak with tongues, but I don't know why you're speaking tongues. And that's the reason sometimes today in our world you find some ministries teaching people how to speak in tongues. And then these guys mock the duty of God because the, the, the administrators actually are babies and nephews of the truth of scripture. Come back with me tonight. To read again verse 8. It says, Love never work, faileth. But whether the prophecies, they work, the 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 taste is what shall so this now is it's not it's a future thing. They shall fail. 
tongues, they shall cease. And knowledge, they shall fade away. So all of it is a future tense. That means it's not in the now. So when that is perfect is come, and we know folks that who is the perfect one? Jesus. That was just you kill the perfect and holy one. So Jesus is the perfect and holy one. So to put lights in this scripture, let's read together tonight Philippians 3, verses 20. We're going to tonight for time's sake because we're going to study. Notice it says the perfect is the Bible. But no, look at it because now the tense is future. So if tongues have ceased, then knowledge should not cease. Today, don't you have knowledge? You do. As your uh, as memory vanish because of the Bible? No, in fact, your knowledge is actually increasing. Daniel said that at the end of age, knowledge shall actually increase. Praise God tonight. So when you speak in tongues tonight again, you speak in confidence going to actually the will of God and doing the will of God. Philippians 3, let's read everybody tonight, verses 20 and 21. Putting in context, 1 Corinthians 3, 8. When the perfect comes, when the perfect so what is the, what, when will that come? Philippians 3, we read verses 20 and 21. I read, for our conversation, all of them, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. From whence we look for citizenship. So now we look is a word futuristic. So we are, we are waiting here for the perfect. For the perfect hasn't yet come. Now, at what time did Paul write Philippians and, and first Corinthians? The, the time gap is about five years. So Paul can't say something within five years that is future, and at the same time it has come. So, so the perfect actually is not what these folks are interpreting to be. The perfect is not the Bible. For Paul said in, in previous year that is to come. I read again. From whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall, say what again, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the um, walking whereby he's able even to subdue all things under himself. So we see the church still waiting for Jesus to come then in the future. So when that which is perfect is come, it refers to the coming again of on Jesus. So tongues have not ceased. Neither has prophecy ceased, and neither has knowledge ceased. Let me run tonight. Second Timothy 4, verse 8. Second Timothy 4, verse 8. Tell me that everybody, because we need to have this at the back of our hearts in knowledge. Paul says, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me when at that day, and not me only, but unto all them that love is what is appearing. So there's an appearing of Christ. There's a future manifestation of the perfect and holy one. So before he comes, 
tongues is still subsisting, prophecy is still subsisting, and knowledge will not get seized. And note also the first Corinthians 13, the next thing Paul said is in 14. He says, I forbid not anyone speak with us. First Corinthians 14, verse 15 to 10. So Paul would have said that it has ceased. And the next chapter he says, I do not forbid anybody from speaking word in tongues. So Paul was actually encouraging the church in Corinth and the temple of Christ not to despise prophesying without speaking in what? In tongues. So 13 can negate 14 and 14 can negate 13. Praise God tonight. For our time said again tonight, one more scripture or rather maybe one more two. First John 3 verse 2. First John 3 verse 2. It says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when we, when we, when we know that when he, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for he shall, we shall see him as he is. So there's an idea of the church still waiting for the perfect to come. And before the prophet comes, then tongues still subsist as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it must not be despised. So the idea of First Corinthians 13 10, of when that which is perfect is come simply refers to the second advent of Jesus, not the completion of canon that make tongues, knowledge, and prophecies to vanish. No tongues in heaven. No prophecies in heaven. And heaven no earthly knowledge. But on this earth, there will be tongues, prophecies, and knowledge. Let me add one more thing tonight as I make progress. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul made a statement but the Holy Spirit saying, For though I speak in tongues of men and of angels, there is no thing like tongues of angels. Some folks use that word to mean speaking in tongues. No, there's nothing like tongues of angels, really. Why? I'll show you now. What Paul is saying there is just describing, he's in a hyperbole, he's just describing um, 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 the veracity of love. That no matter what you do without love, he says, if I give my whole goods and be born, who will born his body? Nobody born the body. So it's a hyperbole. It's a descriptive metaphor. So there is no tongues of angels. Who on earth knows the tongues of angels? Now, let, let, let me read this one. Every time angels appear to man, they spoke in man's language. There is no instant in scripture where angels came and appeared to man from God and spoke angelic tongues. No. So the tongues of angels is not speaking in tongues. It's a high level. Let me give you this instant scripture. Zechariah and the angel in Luke 1 11, when he came, he spoke in Arabic. 
He spoke in, in the language of, of Zachariah. Zachariah, your, your, your prayer is word is heard. Your wife the shall have a son and shall rejoice and give them joy. And Zachariah asked you, and, and, and we, we know the story. So the angel did speak in any special dialect that's called the tongues of angels. No, he spoke in Arabic. Send to Mary. Luke 1, 26. When he came, hail Mary, thou blessed of God. He spoke to her in the language of the Hebrews or the Jews. And she spoke back to him. And guess what? The angel actually identified himself. He said, I am Gabriel. Now, for instance, if you had come to me, I believe, he would say, a mini Gabriel. I'm getting those quadrant money. Oh, you to go back. He will have spoken to me in the language I understand. So no angel has ever spoken in their language when they came on that. So there's nothing like tongues of angels that mess up. When we speak in tongues, let's not say anymore that we are speaking in tongues of angels. No, but there is speaking in tongues as we see in the Bible. But the Bible says to us that it's the tongue of angels. Joshua 5, when Joshua met that book, the angel Joshua met is not an angel. He's called the captain of the host of God. And who would that be? The Lord himself. You see that? The Lord himself appeared to Joshua in Joshua 5. And says, are you for us? Or he says, I'm not I am Jehovah. I am the God of all flesh. I made all human beings so don't don't narrow it down to yourself. I am a call of God. So the 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 Yahweh Elohim himself came as a Christopher and he said to him, he spoke to him in the language he understood. So every time deity or angels come, they don't speak in any heavenly language. But guess what? Believers are empowered by the Holy Ghost to speak a language that only God understands, and to them is a mystery. Praise God for that So, why would people oppose tongues? This is the reason that scripture. But now we see that that scripture actually doesn't mean what is being said or what everybody feels to it. And so, nobody in our age. Please tell everyone that, that, that is close to you. No one should be deprived this gift of tongues because of misapplication and misinterpretation of scripture. The prophet that is to come is Jesus. Until then, tongues, prophecy, and knowledge subsist. It says the shell. First Corinthians 13, 8 to 10. Paul said this. And first Corinthians 14, next chapter. In fact, all these things are not are not written in different times. It's one whole book, but many broke it down to chapters. So don't think that 14 came back 10 years after. No, 14 is, a, is the same epistle, it's, it's one letter. And Paul says, first Corinthians 14, 39, he says, Do not forbid prophesying and stop no one from speaking in what. In other tongues. So we are called the gift of tongues. 
Now, what is the second point that made these folks oppose speaking in tongues? I'll give this one quickly and then I'll stop because next class will go in deeper again. I wish we have more time daily to, to teach these things so we can really catch up quickly and, and run and get the work started. Now, the second thing that we raise is the now these are my words. It's all scriptural words from, from what it said. The wanton, fleshly, carnal, worldly, and excessive liberty being exercised by those believers who believe and do speaking tongues. Uh, the, the reason they oppose is the life of the of the Pentecostals of the tongue talkers, their lives is so carnal, they are so worldly, so fleshy, so so given to debased things. And this process, if we the Holy Ghost that is giving these things, that's the Holy Ghost told you that this man is what is not right. And so the purpose for all this, because these folks, the 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 level of their of their of their own restraintness, they do everything with tongues, they talk in tongues, they, they trivialize some these great things, they they as well, they bastardize the the hallowed gift of God, and they use it as a means of hoodwinking of sources prophets prophet lying rather than prophet sign. Because for every side, they will speak in tongues first, and the things they say never come to pass. And just walk to the prophet who prophesied a thing and it doesn't come to pass. If it's that prophet is a false prophet, and what my friend says is not of God. So on this basis, this folk says there's no more speaking in tongues. Because it's always tied to prophecy. The fact that the gifts are sometimes abused does not mean there's no God. Right teaching is required in this area. Now, despite the opposition put forward by people who hold back, now I don't agree on critics. Because their fellow believers who hold back on tongues, it is evident in scriptures that tongues is of God. So what do you do? You hold on the truth and let not the flesh reign over you. Let not evil overcome the good of God in you. And let not your flesh reign supreme body. In fact, what the Holy Ghost does when it comes to you first is to walk on your character. The Holy Spirit within and the Holy Spirit upon. But that man speaks in, in devilish tongues is, is, is blasphemous. And we must not buy that idea because it is not aligning with scripture. As I said tonight, before I close, Jesus, our Master, our Lord, said 
in Mark 16, 15. Go to the world and preach the gospel. 17 says, or I may read, the he that be not baptized at work shall be saved. And these signs, so the signs, these signs shall follow them that believe the word. In my name, they shall cast out devils and they shall speak with other. Jesus said so. John 17, 20. He says, Lord, I do not, now this is what the high priest prayer of God. I do not pray for this once alone, but I'm praying for everyone that will believe me by their words. So the prayer and this promise, like, like, like Peter said, is for you and your children and as thank to all, and as many as the Lord our God shall call, shall call Acts 2 38. This promise is not for a particular age, it's for all times. Someone says, You can't buy a shoe without a lace, and you can't go and buy a lace without a shoe. The Holy Ghost, when it comes, it breaks all the gifts. But the first manifestation is comes. Jesus said there, they shall look in the fall. He says, Study until you are in Jesus' power form on high. At this point, they were already born again by the same Holy Ghost. But there was a second coming of him on them. And when he came on them at this time, the first thing that happened to them was not they spoke in tongues. And suddenly other things follow. So don't wait only on tongues. You can also trust God for other gifts as he wills. And not just work in the gift alone, work also in the fruit. Have you observed that first Corinthians 12 that talks about the gift and 14 about the gift is sandwiched by 13 that talks about character. So God says, for this gift to operate, there must be what? Character in your life. Amen tonight. I will end with this. For time is up. The Holy Spirit is a gift of God. Jesus gave parable in Luke, in Luke 11 and verse 13. I'm going to read verse 13 verse. He talked about if your son asks for bread, something or scorpion, what will he give him? He said, but if you, being earthly, I mean wicked, will give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. But if it's your Holy Spirit for redemption, you can't ask for him. It is the prerogative of God. But the Holy Spirit that comes on you, you can ask. He comes. And from, from biblical evidence, every time he comes, men speak in tongues. Let's not excuse it. Let's not speak and 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 touch it. Let's not come to school of tarrying. For everyone that heard the gospel rightly preached, got baptized by their own eagerness from the efficacy of the message preached. They received the Holy Spirit by hands laid from the efficacy of the gospel preached. And onward, it began to be like believers. Why do we need this? Because the Holy Spirit is prerequisite 
to the enabling power of God for service. So if our sole aim of being led here by God is to minister salvation, then we need the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We need tongues and every other gift as the Lord will give us. I will continue in the next class, going into deeper in these things. And I want to appeal to you to please by God, make yourself available and encourage the loved ones to listen so we can grow together, understand these things, and build a precise our grace and gifts that the Lord has given unto us in the New Testament church. God bless you. Let us pray. But I will thank you tonight. I've spoken your word has lived in my heart. Your word is blessed. It's a prosper. It will fall in the heart of the wayside without in the heart of, 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 of tongues or stones. Lord of understanding, it won't be choked by worries, by contemplation, by arguments and controversy. Lord, with simple hearts like children who receive this word, who believe them because they are aligned with your word. And therefore, tonight we thank you for the gift of tongues. For we use it to bless you, we use it to praise you and worship you. Lord, by it, oh God, you, you help the church to minister to itself by your spirit that dwells in us. Therefore, Lord, we despise not tongues, we despise the sign. We yield to your will and your word. As a church, we grow more. We are strengthened by your word. Thank you, Father. For both of thanksgiving. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. Church, see you again on Saturday. Same time um, for Bible study. God bless you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, folks. God bless you.